Um, so not a, a book that's preached on very often, but the book of Malachi is the final um, book in the Old Testament of the Bible. If you've got a church Bible, we're looking on page 961. So 961 in the church Bibles is the book of Malachi. So over the last few months, uh, really from just after Easter, um, we've been going through a teaching series here on Sundays at SMG um, on the book of Acts and looking through the life of the early church from Ascension and Pentecost all the way through to um, that first worshipping community, to the disciples being scattered, to the conversion of Saul on the road to Damascus, to Peter's vision and the Gentiles being brought into the people of God. Um, and so we've done that over a number of months. And last week, if you were here, um, Chris Owen, who's the vicar at CSK, uh, preached a really great message which concluded our teaching series on the book of Acts. So over the next four Sundays, over the month of October, we're doing a mini-series on generous giving. So we're going to be looking at generosity and giving from four different perspectives, um, our money and our resources, social justice, and some other things. When we then get into November, we're doing a, a four-week teaching series looking at the kingdom of God. So in the Church of England calendar, November is called the kingdom season. So I thought that would be a good opportunity for us to preach on the kingdom of God. And then in December, we move into Advent and then Christmas. It's going to be honest before we know it, I think, isn't it? Uh, so um, we begin this week looking at Malachi and uh, this week's topic, we're focusing specifically, when we look at generous giving, on money. Now, they say, don't they, that if you're at a dinner party or having people over, that the two topics of conversation that you should avoid, if you don't want things to get awkward, are politics and religion. Okay? That's what they say, isn't it? Personally, I think, you know, it's boring to avoid those two things. Let's have a bit of controversy around the dinner table. But they say, don't they, avoid those things if you want to, um, if you don't want to have an awkward dinner party. I think in British culture, there is a third topic that we get awkward about talking about, and it's money. Talking about money is awkward. In fact, some would say that talking about money is vulgar. Okay, You don't ask somebody how much money they earn. It's one of the rudest questions in our culture that you can ask somebody. How much money do you earn? I think the second rudest is, how much money do you give away? That's a rude question. We don't like to talk about it. And actually, I think talking about money in church often feels even more awkward because we don't want church to be seen as being a membership club. So we don't want church to be seen as you come and you've got to pay a subscription fee or, you know, you've got to kind of pay a surcharge or there's a box at the door and you've got to kind of clink your coins in there. You know, the Christian gospel is a gospel of grace. It's a gospel of God freely giving himself to us. And so we want to freely give his love to others. We don't want the church to be seen as being a membership club. But I wonder if you know that in the gospel, Jesus talks about money more than almost any other subject matter. I wonder if that surprises you. 
So often the church gets hung up about all sorts of other things, not unimportant things, but how often do we talk about money given how much Jesus talks about money? I wonder if you know that in the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, on average, Jesus talks about money about once every 10 verses. It's a lot, isn't it? It's a lot. So it might just be that the church does need to get serious about talking on the topic of money. So the Bible reading we're looking at this week is from um, the book of Malachi, final book in the Old Testament. And the, um, the prophecy of Malachi is written around the time that the Jewish people are returning from exile to rebuild the city of Jerusalem. So it's around the same time as you've got things like Nehemiah and Ezra um, being written. And that period in history where the Jewish people are returning from exile to rebuild the city. And in all of this, God has been continually faithful to his people. He has been faithful to his promises. He has guided them and been present with them in exile and as they've returned home. God has been faithful, but God's people have not always been faithful. And so the prophet of the prophecy of Malachi comes to God's people as a corrective and as a bit of a stark warning and a rebuke in some ways to bring them back on track. So let's just hear a few of those um, verses. Um, so we're going to read together um, from uh, Malachi chapter 3 and verses 6 through to 10. So here it is. I, the Lord, do not change. So you, the descendants of Jacob, are not destroyed. Ever since the time of your ancestors, you have turned away from my decrees and have not kept them. Return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. But you ask, how are we to return? Will a mere mortal rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how are we robbing God? In tithes and offerings. You are under a curse, your whole nation, because you are robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will be not room enough to store. So it's quite a, a strong word here that comes from God through the prophet Malachi, accusing the people of God of robbing him. Robbing him how? Well, robbing him of tithes and offerings. They've withheld their resources from the storehouse. The storehouse, incidentally, um, was almost like a barn that would have been um, adjacent to the temple of God, where the people of God would have brought um, finances and brought produce to store that up as their offerings to God. So it was a literal storehouse in that time. Now, tithing, I don't know about you, but tithing is not a word that I hear anywhere outside of religious circles. I don't know if any of your friends or your work colleagues ever talk about tithing. Never do I hear that word outside of a church or a religious context. So it's worth us unpacking, I think, what the Bible means when it talks about tithing. So in the creation story, way back in Genesis 1, which we looked at in March when we planted and began this current teaching series, um, God makes the heavens and the earth. 
And at the pinnacle of God's creation, he creates humankind, man and woman, male and female. And God gives all the earth and all the earth's resources to humankind to steward and to tend and to take care of. But it's on loan. The resources of the earth that God gives are given to humankind to steward, but they are on loan. They are on trust. And God remains the landlord. And part of the act of worship that God institutes right at the beginning of Genesis is that his people bring the first and the best of what they have to him in worship. So initially that is harvest, it's crops and it's livestock. They bring the first and the best of what they have to God as an act of worship. You see that in the story of Cain and Abel. Later in the Jewish tradition, as civilizations develop and currency and coinage replaces the trade of animals, livestock and and harvest, it is financial offerings that then begin to be brought to God. And as the temple is built and that becomes the center of worship, it's the finances of the people of God that are brought to the temple as their act of worship. And so under the law of Moses, you have this principle of tithing. And that word tithe means to give 10%. And so the practice of the Jews in the Old Testament was to bring the first 10% of all that they profited to the temple as their act of worship. And that is the practice all the way up to the time of Jesus. Now, I think we... um, we misunderstand often what Jesus came to do. And, and many within the church have this notion that Jesus came to sort of chuck out all of the stuff of the Old Testament, you know, to do away with the traditions and do away with the laws and say, oh, we don't need any of that. Um, you know, we, we just need to love each other. Now, it's true that Jesus talked a lot about love, and he said that all the law and the prophets are contained within this commandment, love your neighbors yourself, love God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. But Jesus never dismissed the practices of the Old Testament. He fulfilled them and he built upon them. And the question that Jesus is always asking to people, particularly religious types, is, okay, so you're obeying the letter of the law. How about the spirit behind the law? Because there was a culture of legalism in Jesus' day where people would say, well, I'm technically on the right side of the law, But actually, the attitude of my heart isn't right. So when it came to giving, Jesus is wanting to say, yes, tithe and give as the law requires, but not because it's a tick box exercise, not in order to say, oh, great, well, tick that box now. I've done what God's asked me. Great, now I can get on with the rest of my life and God will be satisfied. But fulfill the law, but do so with an attitude of generosity, of humility, Do so sacrificially and do so joyfully. And so the church should be a community that is lavish in its giving, not legalistic. The church should be a community that is open-handed, not tight-fisted. So what I want us to do this morning is to consider some really, really practical 
implications around this theme of giving and money because it's well and good, isn't it, to talk about money in theory and we'd be quite comfortable about that, but we need to talk about it in practice in order for this to make a real difference. So let me ask you a few challenging questions. And it's worth saying, by the way, that when we talk about money and about giving, this is kind of church family talk, okay? So I'm going to talk about some general principles for money and giving. But when we talk specifically about tithing and how we give to the church, this is something that those of us who are church members commit to. So if you're visiting us here this morning, um, then uh, this may not necessarily apply to you in quite the same way. So let me ask you these questions. First, we talk a lot about Jesus being the Lord of our lives. Is he the Lord of your bank account? There's an uncomfortable question. Because Jesus said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So can I suggest, if Jesus is not the Lord of your bank account, can he truly be the Lord of your heart? That's the first question. Secondly, do you give the first and the best of what you have, including your financial income, to God? Do you tithe? Do you give the first 10%? Now, within the church, and particularly in the West at the moment, I think there is disagreement around the practicalities of tithing, what exactly it means to outwork the biblical principles. What does 10% really mean? How do we give money to God? What does that look like? Should it be more than 10% or is that a baseline and so on? So we'll reflect on some of those questions in a moment. But let me just ask you, do you give the first and the best of what you have to God? Now, it's worth my saying that um, as the minister of this church, I deliberately have no idea how much any of you are giving to the life of this church. And I make that a policy. So Pete knows, because he's the treasurer, um, but I don't know how much any of you give. And I've made that a principle because I don't want that to have any bearing on my pastoral relationship with each of you. So I see the bottom line figures of how much money we have coming in, but I have no idea how much each individual or household gives. So um, if what I'm saying sounds personal, it's not because I intend it to be that way. So what I want to talk about is I'm going to tell you a little bit about what our practice, Anna and mine's practice, has been as a household um, with regards to money and giving. Not because I'm holding us up as, as a model, as it were. Um, we're working this stuff through, and I think there are things where we perhaps haven't got it right. But I know about our finances, so I can talk about them in detail. I don't know about yours, so I can't talk about it other than in theory. So I'm going to talk a little bit from personal experience. What does it look like to give the first and the best of your income to God? And how do we understand tithing? So for us, this means that our tithe, that's 10%, comes out of our bank account on the first working day of every month. 
Now, for us, that's a really important principle because that is about us saying that we are giving the first of what we have to God rather than waiting to the end of the month and seeing what's left over and then giving the leftovers to God. I'm not saying this as a hard and fast rule. I'm telling you what our principles are. So we've decided that because for us that works and it's important to make that statement. So for us, we give 10% of our joint gross income before tax, uh, and that's how we've chosen to interpret the Bible's teaching um, on tithing. So we give at the first of the month. Secondly, what does it mean to give to God? Because one of the problems that we've got is that God is not physically amongst us as Jesus was 2,000 years ago. So what does it look like to actually give our money to God? So the decision that we've taken on this is that that 10% goes to the local church. It goes to the church that we are part of and that we worship in. Now, the Bible talks, particularly in the Old Testament, about tithes and offerings. So two different things here. The tithe being the 10% that God asks us to give as part of our worship and the offerings being additional giving that we might give charitably or to help others on top of that. How do we give directly to God? Well, again, our interpretation of Scripture has been that that means to give to the church because the church is the body of Christ. So the church is the physical representation and manifestation of Jesus on earth. So to give to the church we, in our view, is to give to God because the church is the embodiment of God's presence on the earth. So finally, the Bible talks about giving sacrificially. And this is, I think, probably the most challenging thing of all because each of us needs to come before God in prayer, humbly and honestly, and ask the question, what does it mean for me to live a life characterized by sacrificial giving? And what is God calling me to personally? Because for some people, particularly at certain parts of their lives, to give 10%, depending on how you calculate that, would actually be a real stretch and perhaps more than you could bear. For others, though, if God has blessed you financially, 10% might not be enough. And actually, to give sacrificially may mean giving over and above that 10%. So we need to come before God and ask that question honestly, what does sacrificial giving look like for me, and what are you calling me to? So why give at all? There's a question. Why give at all? We're assuming here that we should. First of all, God has commanded in Scripture that we, his people, give. And actually, giving is part of our worship. Giving is part of our worship. It's not about a membership fee. It's not about a contract. It's an act of worship. And tithing is a sign that we are acknowledging that ultimately everything that we have belongs to God. It's his anyway. It's on loan. It's on trust to us. And therefore, we give back to him what is his in the first place, simply as a way of recognizing he's the Lord of all, he's the king of all, and he has the first of our hearts. So it's an act of worship. Secondly, we give because we are blessed when we give. Now, when I say that, 
one of the things we've got to be really cautious of is that we don't stray into what has often been called prosperity gospel teaching. So when I say we are blessed when we give, what I don't mean by that is if you give money to your church, God will give you a brand new sports car. That'd be nice, wouldn't it? You know, if you give money to the church, then God will reward you with a mansion. And, you know, and that isn't anywhere what the Bible teaches. This isn't a contract whereby God says, you give me this and I guarantee that you'll have this. It's not a contract. But there is a principle, which is when we choose to be obedient to God, when we choose to give to God in worship, particularly when we do so sacrificially and in a way that is costly, we do find ourselves experiencing his blessing and his provision in a way that I think we wouldn't were we not living a life that was obedient to him. It's not a guarantee. It's not a quid pro quo. It's not a contract. But there is a promise there that when we are obedient to God and we seek to follow him, we put ourselves in a place where we receive his blessing. Thirdly, and finally, we give because giving brings us freedom. One of the things that we experience a lot as human beings is that money can have a hold on our lives, can't it? So if we have too little money, we worry. And if we have too much money, actually, we can worry, strangely, because people worry about how they're going to spend it and how they're going to invest it and what if they lose it. And so we worry about money wherever we find ourselves. And money can drive us often to make decisions that are harmful, decisions that are immoral. Money can consume our thoughts. It can cause envy and covetousness and greed. And the greatest antidote to money consuming us is to give it away. That's where the freedom comes in. The greatest antidote to money consuming us is generosity. Now, I'm aware that in this um, church community that we're part of, there are a number of people, some of whom are sat in this room um, this morning, this afternoon as it is now, um, who have decided in recent months to give away some quite significant amounts of money and resources either to this church or to other people within this church family who were in need. And this is a generous church, and I really rejoice for that fact, that actually there is a culture of giving and generosity and honoring one another. And my experience of giving, and I hope it's been yours as well, is that when we give generously like that, when we give to bless people, we experience a degree of freedom and joy in that giving. Because we break the shackles that money has on us and that control that it has on us, and we choose to bless somebody else. So there's a lot of stuff there for us to mull over in the week. Um, let me just remind you of these questions to reflect on. If Jesus is the Lord of your life, is he the Lord of your bank account? Do you give God the first and the best of your income? And that probably means tithing. Do you have a generous spirit? And are you a cheerful giver? Do you take joy in giving? Do you look for opportunities to bless others, to give to God?
so that you can experience joy and freedom in the midst of obedience. Let's take a moment of quiet, perhaps, to reflect on what God might be speaking to us. And then uh, I'm going to pray, and then I'm going to invite out Lola and Gabrielle to come and um, lead us in prayer for this time. So let's quieten our hearts and be open to what God might want to say. sorry where we have made money an awkward and vulgar topic um, at live events you have spoken about it and you have uh, impressed teaching upon many of us that and our hearts and scripture and you want us to honor you and worship you with our finances with our resources and with everything that we have lord would you help us to to see money as a gift from you, to treat it responsibly, to see our giving as part of our worship, that you would grow us in generosity.